Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch, and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live. The Gravel Institute is meant to be like kind of the lefty counter to PragerU or whatever, and I think that's a noble goal. Uh, here's, here's the issue, okay? The issue is if you gaze too long into the abyss, uh, you know, the, the, the abyss takes you. 12 minutes. Yeah, okay, fine. People are saying this is bad. How America funded Ukraine's neo-Nazis. All right. Yeah, okay. Let's, let's, let's take a look at the narrative. I'm no expert on the history of Ukraine, but I am pretty good at identifying propaganda. Ukraine. 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 You gay? You've ha! probably heard about that country a lot. For the last few years, Ukraine has been one of the most important conflict points in the world. It's the site of a proxy war between Russia and the United States. Russia could... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold off. Already incredibly bad framing right off the bat. Right off the bat. Just because different countries have different geopolitical interests for a country does not mean that there's a proxy war happening. There are no U.S. troops there. There are, like, thousands and thousands of Russian-backed separatists there. This is just not true. A, a proxy war <coughs> has to involve, you know, warfare, like, with our soldiers. That's, that's important. That's an important part of the whole war thing. Now, you could argue this is a proxy war in that it's Russian soldiers fighting against a U.S.-backed domestic force. Uh, but that would mean acknowledging that Russia is waging war in Ukraine, which is a, a line that they want to fight against. Launch an attack on Ukraine any day now. We are ready and all of NATO is ready. But it's also a place most people don't really know a lot about. That's true. So the story we hear about Ukraine's history and its conflict today has very little relationship to reality. I'm going to tell you a story about modern Ukraine, but this is also a story about America and how American... Can't both sides have proxy armies? Generally, a proxy war is when the military of one nation is fighting against a sort of backed nation state, on the other hand. You know, like, I guess you could say it's a proxy war if it's two, like, backed forces fighting each other. Well, that, yeah, that can happen. Um, it seems like kind of a semantic thing. The issue here is the framing that America and Russia's interests in Ukraine are, like, equal and parallel. Uh, that's the main thing that's wrong with that framing. Russia has been funding tens of thousands of separatists and has literally given rockets and military equipment to them and is literally like brimming up for the for, for the invasion. Whereas America does not have troops in Ukraine, has pulled out of Ukraine. We don't have anyone in Ukraine right now. The most we've done is arm them, which is something Ukraine wants. The Ukrainian government explicitly has sided with the West in this conflict in terms of like not wanting to get invaded by Russia. <laughs> Can't blame them. Money and weapons ended up in the hands of these guys, the neo-Nazis and ultra-nationalists of Ukraine's far right. Let's start in 1991, when Ukraine became fully independent from the Soviet Union. And independence was tough. After the fall of communism, the economies of... Oh, hold on. There was no communism. After the fall of state capitalism... Soviet republics were falling apart. State institutions were being hollowed out. A so-called gangster capitalism was becoming dominant. Mm -hmm. So in the 1990s, Ukraine's economy and quality of life collapsed. And it's never really got... Wait, 1990s? That article's from 2015. Okay. In the 1990s, Ukraine's economy and quality of life collapsed. 
and it's never really gotten better. Adjusted for inflation, Ukraine's GDP per capita was higher in 1990 than it was in 2020. Wait. I'm pretty sure Ukraine has seen a significant degree of improvement since the fall of the Soviet Union. It's possible the numbers are slanted a bit because East Ukraine is like in this constant state of flux and military engagement. So things aren't being developed that much there. Also, wait, yeah, wait, what are these numbers? This is GDP per capita, but over here it's 12 million. No country has 12 million GDP per capita. What does that mean? Wait, hold on. That would be a very wealthy country. Uh, hold on. Okay, GDP per capita. One second. Gross domestic. Okay, can I get this back for... Okay, here we go. So the chart here doesn't start at zero. It starts down here at 1,500. Uh, and then up here. Okay, so the basic info being delivered here is correct. That the GDP per capita maxed out around 1989. And then it fell to its historic low in the 90s. And since then, it's hovered at around this range. Do they mean total GDP? Wh whatever numbers they're pulling for their chart, the message they're trying to deliver is accurate. Um, I, I still think there's been a pretty significant recovery. Um, I've heard promising stuff coming out of Ukraine. Uh, well, that, that's okay. We can continue. The, if, if the graph here matches the trend, then... Health outcomes are abysmal. In 2019, the life expectancy of Ukrainian men was lower than in Syria, Iraq, and North Korea. Oh, wait, yeah. It, it should also be noted, by the way, and I think it's, it's, it's pretty important to point this out, that if you take a look at the chart, um, that a, a drop that was had right here corresponded with Russia beginning their proxy war um, in East Ukraine. 2014 was when Russia uh, began to fund and back separatist groups. Um, so... Yeah, that's, that's probably not been helping to have just like a third of their country in constant warfare. That's probably not good. Wait, okay, so this is saying Ukraine GDP per capita. This is from the World Bank, which measures it in, in um, PPP, purchasing power, um, which says that it's been going up consistently since then. There are probably some nuances which describe why this is different from this, and I'm not an economist, so maybe we'll look into that a little bit later. And as quality of life collapsed, nationalism flourished. Some people turned to extremist politics. And that was partly because Ukrainian nationalism, formed in opposition to the Soviet Union, tended to have a strongly right-wing flavor. To understand that, we have to look at a crucial figure in Ukrainian nationalist history, a guy named Stepan Bandera. You see, in the 1930s and 40s, Bandera wanted Ukrainian independence from Poland and the Soviet Union. So when the Nazis invaded, Bandera allied with them. His followers massacred huge numbers of Poles and Jews. But in spite of this legacy, Bandera is still viewed as a hero in the west of Ukraine. There okay, wait, that's pretty disingenuous framing. Viewed as a hero in western Ukraine? That would be like saying that like, that'd be like saying that Adolf Hitler is viewed as a hero in America. Because You could find 15,000 Americans who are like neo-Nazis. That framing, putting the whole... He is though I live here in this part is true. Is that true? The march for just 15,000 Ukrainian nationalists um, doesn't sell the point. But if it's broadly, uh, 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 let me see. Um, Bandera support Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine's legacy becomes a political, let me see. 
football again. I'm seeing articles saying hundreds of people or thousands of people march for him. I wonder if there's like an approval poll that I could find, like how many people think positively of him. He's probably he's probably celebrated. He's probably celebrated because he's considered to be one of the like major forces for Ukrainian independence before the Soviets took over. There are Stepan Bandera streets, museums, and monuments. In 2010, Bandera was even named an official hero of Ukraine. But Bandera is hated in the East, where Soviet identity was historically a lot stronger. And that East-West divide was a big fracture within Ukraine. In Western Ukraine, there was more- We're being framed very hard here, but I'll wait a bit longer. Stress on a specifically Ukrainian identity, closer to Europe. In Eastern Ukraine, meanwhile, people were more likely to stress their historic ties to Russia and the Russian language. Fast forward to 2010, when Ukraine elected a relatively pro-Russian politician named Viktor Yanukovych. Relatively? Relatively. When, when Yanukovych was cracking down on the protesters and, you know, killing them, Putin said that he would withhold aid unless he killed them harder. Like, he was literally just a Russian puppet. He fled to Moscow afterwards. He was a Russian puppet. Relatively as its president, with strong support from voters in the East. Yanukovych pursued a regionalist and Russia-friendly agenda, which angered people in the West. And in 2013, Yanukovych announced that he was suspending discussions on Ukrainian integration with Europe. That decision sparked a protest movement centered in Kyiv called Euromaidan, after the Maidan Square, where it took place. In Kiev, thousands of Ukrainians continue to protest against the government's decision to hold off on signing a deal with the EU. In the West, Euromaidan was seen as a peaceful, pro-democracy movement. Oh no. And most participants really were ordinary people who were angry at the government. Okay. But as the protests grew, encouraged by a harsh repression from the police and a okay. brutal sniper attack that killed dozens of protesters and police alike, Okay, all right. We okay. I was that I was worried we'd go this whole thing without mentioning the the brutal crackdown of the police killings. Okay, all right. Okay, I'll just I'll take what I can get, you know. A new, more sinister element emerged and began to hijack the movement. The ultranationalists uh, came on the scene. It was often the nationalists who were the loudest and the most violent. So yeah, to me, this is like saying that Antifa hijacked BLM. Antifa may have been one of the most visible and, like, I guess, optically aggressive elements of the BLM movement, but everything that I've looked up from the protests against Yanukovych have made it seem as though, like, j just because these guys were in the same protests and were, like, the more violent dudes, th that, that doesn't mean that they were, like, the flavor of the whole thing. You know what I mean? Th this is a very common tactic in disenfranchising popular movements, is when there's a very extremist group within that movement that you then point to and make them like representative of the entire thing. I'm not sure about that comparison. Oh, I'm pro Antifa and anti these guys. I'm just saying the strategy is the same. Guys, It's the, I'm talking about the strategy, not the moral equivalent here. It's the strategy of, you know, well, this group we really, really, really don't like. Yeah, but they were there. I'm not saying they weren't. I, 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 Antifa were also at BLM protests, you know? I'm, I'm only saying that is a way of uh, attacking a broader popular movement. You you look at the most um, 
you know, the most extreme or the most, you know, optically damaging elements, and you, you, you overstate the extent to which they influenced it. From what I looked up, the ousting of Yanukovych, this was like, the far-right nationalists did not need to be a part of this protest for everything to go down the way that it did. Does that make sense? Like, it, it seems like everything pretty, pretty much would have went down exactly the same way if the far-right nationalists, the Nazi types, had not been present. They were just had a shared interest because they hate Russia. You know? 76% of those who live in Western Ukraine have a positive opinion towards Bandera. Damn! That is a lot of people. Wow. Well, the premise that was put forth at the beginning of this video is totally correct. Uh, in that bad conditions, like, a, like a, a failing economy or national pressure, can force people towards uh, extremist movements. The same way that our invasion of Iraq is laid the conditions for the formation of ISIS, Russia's constant pressure on Ukraine and the history of their suppression by Russia or the Soviet Union uh, causes, you know, some pretty fucked up shit to go on. You know, Ukraine is a historical victim of imperialism, and for that reason, while I'm not willing to give an ounce of sympathy to any of the far-right groups within Ukraine, I'm willing to give sympathy to the idea that Ukraine is acting as a product of more powerful nations with them. In the same way that any individual ISIS member can drink bleach for all I care. But like, if I was going to point at Iraq or Syria, I wouldn't go like, oh, well, these people are just bad. I would go like, okay, well... These people are bad, but, like, we pretty clearly lay the groundwork with American imperialism here. We, we pretty clearly, we, we very obviously, you know, laid the foundations in this case. A group calling itself the Right Sector is perhaps the largest. Its members can be seen marching around Kiev in columns of about a dozen. Just like how Russia's invasion was a response to NATO expansion? Yes, those things are exactly the same. Iraq being invaded and hundreds of thousands of people being killed by um, the military and by sanctions is literally identical to a, the Russia, the sovereign nation, having to suffer the indignity of being around countries that joined a defensive alliance somewhere near them. Those are identical, yes. Doesn't. Groups like the, quote, right sector, the ultra-nationalist Svoboda Party, originally called the Social National Party of Ukraine. I know those. Try turning those words uh, around. Uh, I, uh, uh, you don't need to rearrange the words, buddy. We can see their flag. We, we, we know what they're doing here. Jesus. This is impressive. It is simultaneously the, the, the SS lightning bolts and the swastika. It's actually both of them. That's actually like... That's actually pretty clever design. They were like, we're actually more Nazi than the Nazis are. We're going to we're going to have both of the most memorable Nazi iconography <laughs> elements. Around. It's called the, the Wolfshangle. Influential Wolf, organized Wolf minority within the protests. And those extremists played an important role in exacerbating the protests by encouraging violence and more radical rhetoric. There are allegations that the sniper attack was actually orchestrated by the right sector and its co-conspirators. Allegations. I would need to see some pretty strong evidence of that. Like, the Ukrainian police were, were fighting against the protesters. The Ukrainian police were ordered to fight. Like, wh what? <laughs> okay, this is conspiracy bait right here. This is just full-on conspiracy like bait, false flag bullshit right here. Isn't the nation a leftist source? First of all, never trust leftists when you're talking about Russia, because you never know who's a real leftist and who's just anti-American. Second of all, it doesn't matter where the source is from. Like, I'd want to know. Like, 
I, I need some, I need some good, hey, if there's evidence for this, but like this, all this video says is allegations and it like cites an article, like, okay, you know. By early 2014, the government lost the ability to control the protests. In a rapidly evolving political crisis, President Yanukovych has been voted out by parliament, forced to leave Kiev. Goodbye. And the US recognized interim government that replaced him had a significant far right. I'm sorry, hold on. Has been voted out by parliament, forced to leave Kiev. And the US recognized interim government that replaced him had a I don't like the use of the term U.S. recognized. The implication here, first of all, the United States recognized Yanukovych as well. We recognize, like, pretty much all leaders around the world in a diplomatic sense, unless it's, um, unless, like, we just deny the existence of the country. This framing makes it sound like they're a puppet of ours, you know, like we backed them. Recognized? Like, that makes it sound so sinister. We recognize government leaders all over, like, we recognize Xi Jinping. We recognize Putin. We, that, all that means is that we acknowledge they exist for diplomatic purposes. <laughs> Significant far-right faction. The deputy prime minister, the minister of defense, and others were all from that far-right party, Svoboda. And this led to- I don't know the details on this, but like, just to be clear, Ukraine does have a serious far-right problem. I'm not denying any of that. So like, that's fine. You know, it's- Backlash in the East because Eastern Ukrainians were horrified at what they saw as a far-right seizure of power. With veneration of Bandera- Oh, it, it should also be noted, by the way, that Yanukovych was also far-right. Keep in mind, being a pro-Russian puppet means that you are also far-right. They're both far-right. They're just, some of them are Western-aligned far-right, and some of them are Russian-aligned far-right. Like that, it's, it's, this, is, this is very much a two-fighting situation. An elimination of equal recognition for languages like Russian. Service industry workers have since January been obliged to talk to customers in Ukrainian unless clients specifically ask to switch. If I work, pay my employees salaries and my taxes, it's none of your bloody business which language I do it in. Anti-government protests broke out across the East. In the Eastern Peninsula of Crimea, people were furious. Oh no. Many of them talked about joining Russia. So oh, the no. Russian government saw an opportunity. They wanted to encourage a surge of Russian nationalism for its own benefit. So Russia annexed Crimea and held a disputed referendum to legitimize the decision. As many as nine- That is very neutral framing for an annexation of another nation's territory. Like when the other guy got elected, it's like US recognized leader in the interim government. And then Russia just invades a part of the world. And it's like, well, there was an annexation, and then they had a referendum. Yeah, this is very, very interesting, the relative degrees of, of perceived sinister uh, behavior <laughs> they're putting forward there. Also, I'm pretty sure, like, they had heavily tilted the scale on that one, right? Like, Crimea was a source of, like, Russian, like, intel, like, mud like muddling for, for, for quite some time. Like, Russia always does this, you know? If you're, if you're next to Russia... You're gonna, you're gonna, you, you know? I hope you know Crimea was an autonomous republic and still is. They were part of Ukraine. And then Russia annexed them. Svoboda only won 0.013% of total seats in the 2014 Ukrainian parliament elections. Wait, this is the group that they were saying was like super far right that was part of their government? Hold on.
Which is the Svoboda party? Wait, I don't know. Is it called something else? The Freedom Party? Naturally. Six out of 450? Oh, alright. 25.5% of the electorate in Crimea have voted to join Russia. We are going back home. Crimea is in Russia. Energized by the annexation. Yeah, we, we watched the video from um, Adam something, but the... Um, the the uh, uh, referendum that was held in Crimea was also heavily weighted. Very much a, you know, German Nazi election. Do you want to elect Hitler? Gigantic yes bubble, tiny no bubble. Where the two choices they were given were be a part of Russia or be independent as a part of an old charter uh, that wouldn't have applied anymore. So they weren't given, like, the referendum didn't ask them if they wanted to stay part of Ukraine. Like, do you, what, you think Russia would invade and then give them that chance? Like, do you... Do you think Russia would commit to invading Crimea and annexing them and then go like, okay, well, would you, do you want us? Or like, we can go back if you want. Like, no, of course not. You know, it's pretty stupid. Also, even if you wanted to, even if you wanted to be hyper charitable and say that like unequivocally Crimea wanted independence or they wanted to be part of Russia or whatever, that doesn't mean that it's not Russian imperialism. Like Ukraine wants to be a part of NATO, but it gets framed as Western imperialism for NATO to like even consider having Ukraine a part of them. So why is it that even so why is it that Crimea's perceived desire to be a part of Russia means that it's not Russian imperialism, but uh you know NATO wanting to be or sorry Ukraine wanting to be part of NATO isn't a, an invalidation of perceived imperialism on NATO's part. It's very inconsistent. and supported by Russian armed and military personnel. The anti-government protests became a full-blown secessionist movement. Eastern provinces like Donetsk and Luhansk held separatist referendums and declared independence. The new government branded these rebellions as, quote, terrorist action. They were literally terrorist groups, and they were funded directly by Russia. Yeah, they were. No, they were pretty unequipped. They were, they were shelling Ukrainian cities with rockets. They, they weren't just, like, peacefully protesting. They... First of all, I'm pretty sure that you can't just, like, decide to leave the country. Um, we, you know, generally countries don't let you do that. So, yeah. But if you're, they, they, they were, there were tens of thousands of separatists. They were military groups. They were funded. They were given arms by Russia. They shelled civilians. They killed people. What, what do you mean? Dude, this, this video is so sussy, man. Why, why would you, why? Ravel Institute, why? Why are all you people willing to lay your hands down at Russia's feet. Russia's not left-leaning. Being anti-America is not left-leaning, okay? There are far-right governments that are anti-American. This is not, this, this is not, this is, this isn't leftism, okay? Jesus. Ukraine entered a civil war, which was also a proxy war with Russia. Oh, but okay, well, at least they acknowledge it was a proxy war with Russia. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Because civil war is giving it a little too much credit, I think. Decades of austerity and corruption, the Ukrainian army was totally unable to fight. So a lot of the action fell instead to the people who were the most violent, the ultranationalists. So a new that's that is true. It's a little bit Weasley to frame it that way. The most violent would it'd probably be more accurate to say the most radicalized, the most willing and able to fight against Russia. Um, but that, that's kind of a semantic thing. Yeah, it's fair. That's fair. 
paramilitary emerged. It was called the Azov Battalion. And unlike the official Ukrainian military, Azov's volunteers were willing to go the distance. But Azov wasn't just any I random organization. It was a pretty disturbing far-right group. It had come out of neo-Nazi street gangs that had been used as muscle by Ukrainian elites in the 90s and 2000s. Azov members regularly sported tattoos of swastikas. Their symbol was based on a Nazi emblem. Their leader declared that their mission was to, quote, lead the white races of the world in a final crusade against the Semite-led Untermenschen, subhumans. If I called these guys Nazis, uh, people online would say that I'm uh, engaging in Godwin's law. Guys, you, you guys, you'll just call anyone a Nazi. You'll just call anyone a Nazi, man. The word doesn't even mean anything anymore. But Azov's neo-Nazism turned out not to be such a huge concern to the Ukrainian government. Because in 2014, a guy named Arsen Avakov became interior minister in charge of police and security. And Avakov had been a longtime patron of the neo-Nazi gangs. And when he was a regional governor, he used them as enforcers. So when he became interior minister, Avakov had the Azov Battalion incorporated into Ukraine's National Guard. Ukraine is the only country to have a neo-Nazi formation in its military. Well, the only country to have an explicit neo-Nazi formation in their military. <laughs> you gotta, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's more common than you might think. So as the war was heating up, the U.S. government announced... Yeah, the only country honest enough to admit it. That's, that's why we love our Ukrainians. Okay. America, you know, America, Germany, you know, a bunch of countries, Russia, they all have their far-right neo-Nazi battalions, but at least the Ukrainians have the stones to own up to it. Gotta, re gotta respect that. It would start helping the Ukrainian government. We're upholding the... Uh, hold on. Okay. So let's back up a couple of steps here, okay? Now, I want to be clear about this, all right? The Azov Battalion, every single person in it, okay, they can Jonestown themselves for all I care, okay? They can find a big old bleach fountain. I, lit I don't give a shit, okay? I firmly encourage all of them to quickly meet with the end of their barrels. I do not care, all right? First and foremost. Uh, second of all, the way information is being presented in this is very, very interesting and very, very deliberate to me, okay? So when leftists talk about stuff like ISIS, we're usually quick to point out that even though ISIS is really bad, their existence and their power is a product of Western imperialism. Because that's true. ISIS, a bunch of shit in that region, would not exist if it weren't for the fact that we've historically meddled in their affairs and worsened material conditions to the point that <clears throat> crazy fucking caliphate, you know, militant groups are like things that emerge, you know? The issue that I have is that right now that very simple level of analysis is not being applied because this is a USA bad, Russia good narrative. What's happening here is really obvious. This country, Ukraine, in 2014, was broke, hollowed out, and facing a proxy war from their massively more powerful neighbor, Russia. Under those circumstances, do you think they would just roll over and let the separatists do what they want? Or do you think they would employ any military faction within their power, up to and including neo-Nazis? If you're a, a leftist, a Marxist, material conditions seem to favor the latter approach. Now, that's not a moral defense. That's not a justification. You all remember my, you know, disclaimer at the beginning of this particular spiel vis-a-vis -vis ends of barrels. But, like, this is just pretty simple straightforward 
Like, you guys understand what I'm talking about, right? To, to me, at least, it seems pretty obvious. Like, oh, wow, they have basically no options to defend themselves. They're facing a proxy war. Like, okay, they're going to use, like, any extremist group they can to defend. Yeah, so the natural thing that I would expect the leftists to say is the Azov Battalion can go f*** themselves. However, the thing we need to do to prevent stuff like this from happening is to put an end to Russian imperialism. That, to me, that that's just like a one-to-one -one thing that just makes so much sense to me. But <clears throat> that is not the way this information is being framed. Nazi formation in its military. So as the war was heating up, the U.S. government announced it would start helping the Ukrainian government. We're upholding the principle that bigger nations can't bully the small by opposing Russian aggression and supporting Ukraine's democracy and reassuring our NATO allies. That's <clears throat> that's fine. Uh, ba based Obama. Sure. Go for it. It would send money, training, and, quote, defensive lethal aid. Weapons. Yeah. And as all that flowed in, Azov became a beneficiary. The research group Bellingcat <coughs> showed that Azov was receiving access to American grenade launchers. A Daily Beast investigation showed that U.S. trainers were unable to prevent aid from reaching neo-Nazis. So, yeah. Obviously. If they're a part of the defensive forces of Ukraine, then weapons that reach Ukraine are going to fall into their hands, right? So it seems like the, the way to solve this would be to, uh, you know, <clears throat> attempt to prevent the emergence of the conditions which require the Ukrainian government to employ these people? Like, right? A headline was 2022. Uh, it could be a retrospective. And Azov itself posted a video of the unit welcoming representatives from NATO. Some in the U.S. were concerned about all of this. They warned that arming neo-Nazis would pose a threat to Ukrainian minorities and to Ukrainian democracy. But whenever Congress tried to ban funding for Azov, the Defense Department had those provisions removed. Well, hold on. Banned funding for Azov. First of all, for a while, I'm pretty sure we actually did have funding banned for Azov. But... Second of all, how would you do that? If the weapons are being given to Ukraine, do you give them under the stipulation that the arms are never given to the Azov Battalion? I suppose that's possible, but it'd be really difficult to enforce. So the U.S. continued funding Azov for years. I really don't like that framing. I just, I don't like that framing. And I know that other lefties wouldn't like that framing because um, they have in the past historically defended the funding of anti-imperialist groups that have extremist uh, uh, um, sects within them. Uh, but they don't frame it as like, like this right here is conservative framing. Uh, yeah, like Hamas. Like if you fund Palestinians, money goes to Hamas and therefore you are directly funding uh, uh, anti-Semitic attacks on Israel. It's a generalization that's used, again, to deny the ability to provide any support for a just cause because elements of the support that would be given would go towards bad people. That's not to say it can never be brought up, but the fact that this is being presented so matter-of-factly and in such a reductionist way is pretty bad. It wasn't until 2018 that funding was banned and that the State Department labeled Azov a, quote, nationalist hate group. Ukraine is still mired in a war on its territory, and the Russian government likes to use Ukrainian nationalists in its propaganda, part of its practice of painting all Ukrainians as Nazis. Of course, those claims aren't really true. Oh, that's nice. But Ukraine still does have a serious and militarized neo-Nazi problem. And 
How how big is the Azov Battalion these days, anyway? Isn't hasn't it been here? Wait. <clears throat> Current status. Ukraine decided to turn all volunteer battalions, both the territorial defense battalions associated with the armed forces and the special task patrol police force of the interior ministry, into regular units of the Ukrainian armed forces and the national guard, respectively. Azov is one of the latter. Ukrainian government also opted to deploy only volunteer units to the Donbass front, pledging conscripts would not be sent to combat. Um, let's see. Since 2015, the battalion has been upgraded to regimental status, and Azov is now officially called Special Operations Detachment, with combat duties focused on reconnaissance, counter-reconnaissance, EOD disposer, interdiction, special weapon operations, organized into these command units. Is there like a, like a number, like a number of people currently in them? A couple thousand? I saw 900 in 2015. 900 in 2015? I wonder how big it is right now. Western support extends beyond Azov. Even today, far-right groups continue to benefit from training by Western countries. American politicians have met with far-right leaders. I wonder if they're going to propose a solution to this, by the way. Like, do they have a way? Is the, is the implied solution just don't help Ukraine defend themselves? Or is it just like, we're going to use... Because it, it seems to me like this is kind of a, a Martin Bailey. If the argument here is far-right neo-Nazi nationalists in Ukraine bad, then yeah, totally agreed. Yeah. But if the implied solution to this is allow Ukraine to be stomped by Russia, then... ...rule of Ukraine, this is your moment. During the protests, American Senator John McCain made a public appearance with a leader of the far-right Svoboda party. That's bad. This guy. He had previously been kicked out of Ukraine's uh, parliament uh, for extreme anti-Semitism. Uh, uh. Nazis and here's that point. same guy meeting with then-Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, so since uh, the 2014 Biden. Ukraine's uh, far uh, right has become increasingly Nazis powerful. Had a point. Azov veterans have been given high positions in the security services. In 2016, Andriy Perubi, pictured here when he was leading a neo-Nazi party in the 90s, became Speaker of the Ukrainian Parliament, even as he continued to offer praise for Adolf Hitler. Here's Perubi meeting with John McCain. Uh, uh. The new Ukrainian government even <laughs> made it a criminal offense to deny Bandera's heroism. And in 2021... Wait, hold on. That's wild. Hold on. <clears throat> uh, organ wait, hold on. Legislation made the two World War II paramilitaries, the organization here's Ukraine, and made it a criminal offense to deny their heroism. Made it a criminal offense to deny their heroism. Can I get that exact article? Uh, Ukraine. Just look up the article title. Yeah, I found it. You can just type up anything. You'll find it. In 2015, the Ukrainian parliament passed legislation making two World War II paramilitaries, organization of Ukrainian nationalists, insurgent army, here's Ukraine, criminal offense, and neither here's them. Damn! That's some 1984 bullshit right there. Holy shit. In order to save Ukraine from their far-right sentiments, we must improve their material conditions by preventing them from being taken over by Russia criminal offense to deny Bandera's heroism. And in 2021, the United States and Ukraine were the only two countries to vote against a UN resolution condemning the glorification of Nazism. <laughs> a climate Besties. of impunity has developed around far-right violence. Attacks against Roma and gay people go unpunished. A 2018 report found that Ukraine had more incidents of anti-Semitic hate crimes than all other post-Soviet republics combined. 
I think they're painting this extremely dishonestly, as I understand. Bandera is revered mainly for his fight against the USSR, not his beliefs. It, does, it doesn't really matter. If you're venerating people like that, like, it's pretty clear where Ukraine's at right now. So that's the story of how the far right helped cause the country to fracture. But it's also a story about America, how America's support helped legitimize the far right and allowed it to build influence. And that's... That's pretty disingenuous framing. So pretty much the entirety of the West uh, was, was supportive of Ukraine's push away from Russia. Um, obviously, you know, different elements of the American... Like, not everything's about America here, okay? Like, I know America bad and all of that, but like, yeah. The, 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 the need to frame this as some kind of, like, American promoting the far right. The far right in Ukraine were clearly prominent, present, active, and engaged before. Americans' behavior didn't cause this. Russians did. Russia created the material conditions that led to the extreme popularity of far-right nationalist groups in Ukraine. I don't know why, like, we're so desperate to do this, man. It, look, if we're responsible for ISIS, they're responsible for the Azov Battalion. You can't get around that. The USSR f***ed Ukraine up. Russia continues to f*** Ukraine up. Like, it's really, it's really weird to pretend to be an anti-imperialist when it comes out that you're not actually anti-imperialist. You're pro-imperialism, as long as it's not the West. If the West does anything wrong, then your material analysis skills are on point. But if it's some country like Russia doing the same shit just to a different, like, situation, then it's like, oh, well, twist my back around to see if I can find a way to, you know, make this about America. And you know people like this are never going to do videos on how, like, Russian involvement in Syria backs their far right. Like, Russia explicitly supports far-right dictator Assad who, like, falsifies elections and cracks down on internal dissent and caused one of the worst refugee crises in all of human history. And, um, but, and, and like, this direct product of Russian support, like, chemical weapons on his own people, but, like, you know, they, we, don't, we don't talk about that because that's also resisting American imperialism and, you know, whatever, just... That's a pattern you see over and over in American foreign policy. Getting involved in places that we don't really understand and supporting groups... What? Wait, what? We don't understand... Wait, wh who's we? The Pentagon? Wait, are we talking about all of us? Wait, America as a country doesn't understand anything about anywhere. We, that's why America, we don't, we don't have a referendum on every piece of legislation that passed through Congress. This wasn't like, this isn't a war that we, 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 we didn't invade anyone here. We, we, descend, we decided to send arms and training to Ukraine because it's to our benefit that they don't fall into Russia's sphere of influence. Like, but, but yeah, like, what is that? Lesser evils. That oh, oh my God. Involved in places that we don't really understand and supporting groups, lesser evils, that we think serve our interests. This is, this is a pro-imperialist argument right here. And then being surprised when the blowback hits us in the face. Wait, what, wait, 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 wait. What blowback? What, wait, hold on. First of all, nothing has hit us in the face. America hasn't been affected by this at all. Second of all, all of the far-right sentiments that exist right now were there before 2014 when we recognized their interim leader like we do with every other leader. What? what? Has Ukraine done a 9-11 on us? Is the blowback supposed to be Russia invading Ukraine? Yeah, was, was the blowback in 2014 before we sent them arms? What did... When was the blowback? What happened? Like, this is so f***ing reductionist, dude. This is an effort to paint every single geopolitical incident that America is involved in as the exact same as the Iraq War, which I've noticed from a lot of lefties. Like, it's this line, they lied to us about the Iraq War, therefore, I, it's a, we should get all our news from Russia today, you know? 
but it's it's incredibly reductionist. Lefties were used to be renowned for their excellent historical and economic analysis, and such a shame to see how far we've fallen in that respect. In Central America, in the Middle East. See, every everything is the same. Everything is exactly the same. Us overthrowing democratically elected leaders in Latin America, invading Southeast Asia and the Middle East is exactly the same as us giving weapons to a democratically elected leader because they're being subjected to a proxy war from their neighbor. These are all exactly the same thing. Southeast Asia, and now in Ukraine. Yes, these are all the same thing. I'm Hadia Afsal, Advocacy Associate for Just Foreign Policy for the Gravel Institute. Nice. Nice memes. God damn it, dude. We had that false flag uh, car bomb shit earlier today, man. The Russian apologists are out in force on Twitter right now. They're like, they're like mass searching all tags and all associated terms to respond to everything with like, well, why are you warmongering by pointing out that Russia's warmongering, you know? Bosh, bam. Bosh, bam. <sighs>